Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible Study class led by Pastor Jim Audie. For this episode and the next few episodes, we are doing something a little bit different. Instead of jumping right into a new series, we are unearthing early recordings of the podcast to bring to you. These were recorded during a whole different series, and we can't start with part one because we didn't think to record it at the time. So if you're new to the podcast or returning and thinking, why are we on part four when this is a whole different series? Don't worry, you didn't miss an episode or anything. We are just jumping around a little bit and offering a sneak peek from past classes. So without delaying any further, here is a part of a series titled Living the Life of Jesus's Beloved. Enjoy. All right, so let's get into our study for today. And uh, let's see, just time-wise, we're going to go until about 20 till, 15 till, because I've got late service today, so... Uh, Playtime will be over with, and I got to go to work after that. So, all right, I know, bummer. All right, so let's get into our lesson for today. Now, again, what we normally do is start out with thinking about what we covered uh, last week, and so just a couple things on there from last week's lesson. So, the first one is that spiritual warfare is best fought in a formation of we're in this together and we have each other's back. Remember, that's that phalanx idea that the soldier who stands along, uh, alone will likely fall. Now, I already have to make a, an official correction in, my, uh, in, in the information I gave you last week regarding phalanx. What? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the other advantage of this being recorded. Philip to- told me this already is that if I make an error in what I said the week before, I can do an official correction the, the week after. So anyway, I'm doing that exactly right now. So anyway, when, uh, when I was talking about phalanx, one of our class members uh, put that on Facebook of how wonderful it was that we talked about ph- phalanx as this sort of Roman uh, way of doing, uh, doing uh, uh, a defensive sort of uh, a military formation. Well, then... The son of that a person of that member uh, sent back a little bit of a slight little tweak in the information that it actually wasn't a Roman thing, but it was a Greek thing. And he used so many Greek words in there. I knew he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> so anyway, I'm putting that correction out there that uh, my sources had said Roman, that this was a Roman military formation, the phalanx, but actually it was a Greek one. But it's possible that when the Romans came in and defeated the Greeks, they actually said, you know, we kind of like this and we might adapt it for our own uh, purposes. And in fact, this person who is the expert in it, he acknowledged that the early Romans might have done that. So I felt better after he said that. So anyway, that's what that is. But it's still the idea of spiritual spiritual, uh, warfare. So when we think about spiritual warfare, What we're not necessarily talking about is the exorcist. Okay, we're not talking about that. However, I just read, I heard this in the news just like this past week that the Roman Catholic Church is very concerned that they have a shortage of priests, number one, and number two, they have a shortage of priests in Europe that are skilled and trained to do exorcisms. 
because apparently it's in Eastern Europe and then in South America where they're seeing a great need for uh, people to do exorcisms. That's not so much of a practice in the Lutheran church, but it is something that we acknowledge the existence of. Okay. So spiritual warfare is not, that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about spiritual warfare, basically we're talking about what happens to people in life when they hit a wall, have a crisis of faith, and then out of that crisis of faith, they begin to doubt God's existence, God's love, the veracity of God's promises. That's all what we would say is spiritual warfare. And who of us here today hadn't had something like that? So the, so, the, so the issue is, see, is that if we are standing alone, if we are isolating from each other in those moments when it gets really tough, then we stand a, we stand a worse chance of getting through that moment spiritually. If we stand together and we are encouraging each other and we are talking to each other about God's promises and, and, and how uh, a faithful God is, then we stand a better chance of getting through that spiritual warfare and doing it victoriously. Does anybody have any thoughts about that? Yeah. This, this concept would, is really, really good for people who say, I believe that I don't need to go to church. Yes, yes. I don't need that. I can worship in the woods. Yes. On the water. Yes. Or they'll just sort of put a limit around what that is, even if it's I'm not going to worship out in nature, which, you know, I guess you could do, right? But the problem is, is that you're isolated from other godly people. You're isolated from the encouraging word that others would offer, right? Now, to some degree, some people make the case that, well, when I did do that, when I did reach out to the community of faith, when I did try to find a supporting word, I got slammed, or I got shunned, or I got rejected, or I got made fun of, or I got whatever it was, okay? So there is that reality. And that would say more to us in, within the body of Christ to be mindful of how we respond when people are struggling, when people are dealing with um, either small, little, tiny things or huge, giant, big things, that we need to be mindful of that. I mean, that's, I think, one of the reasons why we're excited about Comfort Dog, because that's going to that's gonna help us do that job better. And anything that we can do to do that job better, to me, makes, like, total sense. Okay? So that's maybe one aspect of that. All right, the second one is conflict in Christian churches is common. It's common. But Christians, then, are called to help reconcile conflicted parties. That's what Paul was saying, right? In, in the earlier part of Philippians, the two ladies that were very passionate about their perspective on how ministry ought to be done and that sort of thing, they were at odds with each other. And so Paul says, help these, help these ladies. And so we talked some about that uh, last week. And then the last one is that Christians names are in the book of life. And the book of life is just a it's a way of describing uh, the record of heaven. It's the heavenly record, if you will. Okay? So that's kind of that idea. Very good. We're ready to move into the next part. Okay. Now we get into some really cool stuff. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul starts out with some, some absolutely fantastic words. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. When, whenever you see an imperative like that, whenever you see a, 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 a direct sort of command, if you will, that he's given, or at least an urging that he's giving, is you, you need to take that word rejoice and put I-N-G on the end of it. So it's not just rejoice, it's rejoicing in the Lord always, which kind of sounds redundant, doesn't it? But that's the point Paul's trying to make, is that all of life and every moment of life, you fill with what? With rejoicing. The idea is that you're going to recall the joy of being God's beloved. And when you do that, what starts to happen in your life is that your mindset changes. Your perspective changes. Is that you can have any million other things that are going on in your life, but your perspective toward those things begins to change because what's happening is, is that you are literally filling your mind and your heart and your spirit with the, the idea or with the, uh, with the truth that you are God's beloved no matter what. And it's no matter what happens to you in your life, you are choosing to celebrate the fact that you're beloved, not just simply doubting it or wondering it. So the beloved life principle number 23 is a joyful mindset empowers you to be filled with hope even in the midst of suffering. This is so counterintuitive that most people will think you've gone off your rocker when you've taken this perspective. <laughs> they will. They will. They'll say, wow, are you naive? Boy, you are not real. Boy, you are so fake. There's no way that there can be any sort of hope. There's no way there can be any sort of, of good that would come out of this. And so you have to prepare yourself for the possibility that people are going to think that you're weird or just stupid. So this will test whatever inner motivations you have about being somebody who can please other people. Because they will not be pleased with what you're saying. They will dispute what you're saying and they will resist what you're saying. So what kind of helps with that a little bit, and I know I pulled this verse out before for you at a, at a, in a different lesson, but I really love this verse out of Lamentations 3 in the Old Testament. Uh, it's thought that probably Jeremiah wrote this. Um, and notice what he says. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall... I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. How many of you can relate to those words? Oh, my, yes. I mean, almost any time there is a difficulty in life that either one that you can identify or even maybe some that are more chronic that you can't identify, you just know this is how you feel, right? We all can relate to that. And so when Jeremiah says, I well remember them, what he's telling us is that we do not have to intentionally think about them in order to think about them. 
In fact, most of us would say, we don't want to think about this kind of stuff. Because this is the kind of stuff that not only does it affect your mind, but it also affects your body. Your body gets depressed if it is continually exposed to this kind of stuff. Isn't that right? Yeah. And so you don't have to work at remembering those things. In fact, what most of us try to do is work at not thinking about those things, right? And yet notice what he says in the next verse. Yet this I call to mind and therefore have what? Hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait. What? For him. Now, I like this translation. The NIV uses the word compassion, but I really like the older version, the King James, which was mercies. His mercies are new every morning. Now, imagine what it would be like if you were to begin each morning of each day of each week from now on, reminding yourself that God's mercies are new every morning. Wow. Imagine what that would, that start of the day or that intention, as we talked about earlier last week, if you start the day that way, that his mercies are new every morning. Well, so here we are in the morning. So what does that mean? Got a fresh batch of mercies from God, home delivered, even faster than Amazon Prime, right? And they're hand delivered by God to you. And now you get to use them up through the rest of the day. How would that impact your day? Even if you know that what you're going into in your day doesn't look all that great. Some days I'm going there and I can see where I'm going. It's going to be a great and glorious day. Other days I'm thinking, hmm, stay in bed, right? His, ner- his mercies are new every morning. What does the word mercy mean? No, that's grace. Grace is when God gives us something that we don't deserve. What is mercy? When God doesn't give you what you do deserve. Ooh, that's a little different. Well, then what is it that I deserve that God doesn't give me? Well, death, but yeah. What else? What is it that you and I deserve that God says, nope, not going to do it because of Jesus? What is it? Yeah. He says, well, you're a sinner, but you know what? I just don't see that because I just see Jesus. So come here. As opposed to get away from me, right? See, we often don't think about that from that perspective, that there's a lot by virtue of our sinfulness that we really deserve. And then, but God says, no, I love you too much and I'm merciful to you. And so I'm not going to give it to you. Wow. And you see, the point is, that's what he says every single morning. When he delivers the mercy to you, which are new every morning. Now, what's the difference in Lamentations? What's the difference between remembering something and calling something to mind? Because that's the distinction that he makes. He says, I remember the wandering and I remember the bitterness and I remember the stomach aches and I remember the headaches and I remember all those things. 
And then he says, but this I call to mind. What's the difference between remembering and calling something to mind? What's the difference? Do what? Seeing his compassion and what you're remembering. So you're seeing his compassion and you're allowing his compassion or his mercy to be the filter through which you look at stuff, right? Okay, that's very true. What else? Being purposeful. Being purposeful. Yeah, is that, Richard, kind of where you were going? um, You remember the affliction, but you overlay it. There's a choice involved when he says, yet this I do what? I call to mind. It's like an overlay. It's like a filter. But there's an intentionality about that that says, I'm not only going to dwell on the negative. I'm not only going to dwell on the stuff that, I, that I'm hurting about. I'm not only going to dwell on the stuff that's, that's uh, troubling to me. It's not to say that we're ignoring that or we have amnesia about it or that somehow we're in denial about it. It isn't that at all. It's acknowledging that. But it's allowing then the thing that will be the thing that creates hope is the fact that God is present And he isn't present just up in heaven doing his own thing. He's doing what? He's hand delivering mercies to you every morning. God is not indifferent. But he doesn't say, well, I'm just going to take it all away from you and make your life so sweet and nice and easy. It doesn't work that way. Not till we get to heaven. Okay. Any thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah. Dan. Was this telling us to live life one day at a time? Yes. That's what I take. Yeah. Is that kind of what, where you're getting from that? Instead of one week at a time, yeah. one month at a time, one year at a time. Right. Well, Jesus sort of had a few things to say about that too. You know, don't worry about this and this and this, you know, just each day has its, uh, its own set of worries. Right. And, and in fact, if you think that you should live in the worries of tomorrow, you're not going to have that many tomorrows because it'll shorten your life. Right. So each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, and that's why we, we keep focused on today. It's not that we don't plan for tomorrow. We do all those things, right? But when it comes to where we put our focus, it's on the here and now. And we do it knowing what about the future? It's in God's hands, right? And the ultimate future, of course, is ours in heaven. So he says, what somebody's, we're good? Okay. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, again, I will say rejoice. Now notice what he connects to that. He says, when your life is one series of rejoicing after another, that affects your spirit. And the result of that, he says, is that you can let your what kind of spirit be made known to all men? Gentle, gentle. Now, sometimes we look at that word gentle and we think wishy-washy, doormat right? That kind of idea. Oh, just let people run over you. That's not what that is. If you look down at the bottom uh, there, the note there is that this word means a spirit of moderation, which is always looking for the opportunity to forgive. It is the attitude of a person who is charitable toward the faults of others and merciful in his judgment of their failings because he is aware of his own future day of reckoning. In other words, we don't get too uppity about the faults of others. 
We've talked a little bit about that. That's that kind of Matthew eight, uh, Matthew uh, seven stuff regarding the idea of judging others, you know. And then Jesus says, if you're going to be harsh about your judgments of others, well, then you know, uh, don't be surprised if it comes back on you, right? And then he says, why do you spend all your energy and your effort looking at the specks in your brother's eye when you haven't even taken the time to acknowledge the fact that you have giant logs in your own eye? So take the log out of your own eye. And when you have successfully accomplished that, then feel free to move on to the specks in other people's eyes. I love that about Jesus, right? But notice that. See, it's what this gentle spirit is is that it's the idea that I'm looking for a way to forgive you as opposed to I'm looking for a way to get even with you or to resent you or to be so focused on what you did to me that what begins to happen is that gentle spirit begins to get converted into a harsh, cynical spirit. And when that kind of spirit is present, it can literally poison not just an individual with toxicity, but it can also do that to a group, a family, or even a church. So that's why he's saying, let that be known about you. See, let it be known. I don't know what people know about you. Maybe they know a lot of things about you, and maybe some of them aren't so great. But what if what they also know about you is that you have a gentle spirit and that you're always looking for a way to forgive? Now, let me just sort of ask the question. And I know I've asked this other times. Is forgiving somebody the same as trusting somebody? What's the difference? What's the difference? Trust is earned. Trust is earned. By what? By being trustworthy. Yeah. So does that mean that you can never trust somebody if they have hurt you, betrayed you, or wounded you in some powerful and significant way? You can never, that's it, you can never trust them? Is that what that means? No, you can, but it takes a while to get back to where it was, if it even can get to where it was, but maybe it can get to close to where it was, right? But that takes what? Time, right? Consistency, right? takes work and those kinds of things. Whereas forgiveness might take work. It might take time. It might take all those things. But the difference is, is that we forgive each other because why? Because God in Christ forgave us. See, so the power to forgive others, it resides in God. It comes from him. And the motivation to do it is because that's what he does for us. That's, that's how forgiveness is different. You know, so we're compelled to forgive, but uh, trusting is a little different gig, right? Yes. I was going to comment, a lot of people equate forgiveness to reconciliation. Yes. And how those two things are very different. You can forgive somebody, but not necessarily be reconciled. That's correct. Yeah. So Jesus makes a provision for that. He talks about the idea that, that we have to, it has to start with that I forgive my brother in my heart, from my heart, which would be part of the process of reconciliation, right? But reconciliation also involves a restoration of trust. And I might forgive you, but never be able to trust you. See, that's the dilemma. Now, to be sure, it's more difficult to forgive when you don't trust somebody. That's harder but it's doable. 
Okay. But again, you think about, well, how would I do that? How would I overcome this fear that I have or this anxiety that I have about getting hurt again or, or getting wounded again or being betrayed again or whatever it might be? See, I would say that what helps that is the Lamentations verse. Because what does the Lamentations verse say? Yet this I do what? Yet this I call to mind that if God's mercies are new toward me every morning, then maybe my mercies toward you can be new every morning as well. But I'm going to have to be intentional about that because if you've been wounded in some way, if you've been betrayed significantly, you're not going to have to work hard at all to remember it, right? And to some degree, the remembering of it does serve as a kind of a protection, right? To make sure, uh, to make sure that you don't, you're not in that situation again. Okay, that makes sense. So I have to somehow keep that in place at the same time that I'm working at, working at intentionally, allowing God's hope to fill me. And as that hope fills me, that begins to change my spirit. And there's something to be said for the idea that if you have been betrayed or hurt or wounded in some way, to still be gentle toward that person. Yikes. Easy to do, no? No. See, because when we're hurt and feel wounded and afraid and all those things, the, te the temptation is to lash out to the other person, not treat them with gentleness, but rather treat them in such a way that uh, I'm going to teach you a lesson and welcome to my world, right? Okay. So this is challenging things for a lot of us. So he says then, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now, when we read in the Bible about anxiety, we need to distinguish between the idea of worrying about stuff and having a medical condition called anxiety. Does that, does that difference make any sense to you? Okay. See, anxiety from a medical perspective is probably a chemical imbalance inside of you, not enough of the uh, chemistry that would allow your mood to stay like this, normal like this, but it's always anxious, always afraid, always that kind of thing. Okay. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is the idea of worrying about the aspects of life over which you have little influence or no control. Anybody have anything like that in their life? Yeah. If you have another person in your life that you care about or that you are somewhat interdependent with and maybe your livelihood is dependent on them or your survival is dependent on them or your whatever it is is dependent on them, then that's when it's really tough to not get into the control game. Because there's a little bit of that sort of self-serving, not that it's bad, it's just self-serving aspect to that, right? I want to control you for your good. Have you ever said that before? I want to control you for your good. Yeah. But that's not what it really is. It's so that I can feel secure. So to go to the next page, Jesus had something to say about the relationship of worry to this sort of incessant need that we sometimes feel to be in control. Look at Matthew 6, 24 to 26. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Another word for that is mammon, which is the idea of, of possessions in life. 
So he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Now, notice what the perspective Jesus takes that we often forget. And that is, is that we are basically slaves. We are not masters, which just grates against us because we would like to think that we are the captain of our faith and the master of our soul, right? Isn't that what we would like to think that we are? We're not. And so what Jesus is talking about here is this idea that you, you get to pick which master you will be enslaved to. Oh, that's some choice. Thank you. It isn't like you get to pick the slaves. You get to pick which master you'll be enslaved to. It, it is either going to be God or it's going to be yourself in the form of possessions and money and all those kinds of things. That's the question. And so what's interesting about that is he ties that then to the concerns that we have about the future with the use of the word will. Notice that? Therefore, don't worry about your life in the present, about what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. It's tied, worry, see, is tied to that desire that we have to somehow control uh, control the future. So what he's getting at here is that, that we can easily, and this is kind of a human thing anyway, we can easily choose to enslave ourselves to a God of false security. And the problem is what happens when that doesn't work anymore? People who say, well, you know, I don't really need God in my life because I've got a lot of other things that are more of a priority. Maybe my learning is more of a priority. Maybe my career is more of a priority. Maybe my, uh, the stock prices is more of, a, of, of that. And so when all of those things fail, then what do you turn to? What have you got? And that's when we're reminded again and again that God is the one who provides us that ultimate security and it is the real thing. Okay? So then he says, out of all of that, do what? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? With grumpiness? Oh, no, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, again, that little word let, put an I-N-G on there. Letting, okay? That the life of God's beloved is a continuous conversation in God's presence, where you embrace his presence and you make it a pattern of your life to offer your prayers to him with thanksgiving. Now, what would that sound like in a practical way if you're praying to God for some things that haven't happened yet? How do you thank God for things that haven't happened yet? What was that? How do you do that? What does that sound like? Hmm? See, isn't that the walk of faith? Isn't it? Isn't that a hopeful perspective toward life? that says, I don't know how you're going to work this out, Lord, but I'm going to thank you ahead of time. And then you, sometimes we add your will be done. Sometimes you have to say your will be done. Do you ever say that like gritting your teeth? I will be done. Yes. We try not to, I know, but you know, good luck. It's just, it, what Paul is suggesting is that no matter what's happening in the present no matter if it's based on something that happened in the past. He's saying in everything, right? In everything. See that word, those two words, in everything. It's not in some things. 
It's not in those things that fit my criteria of what I wanted in life and happiness was one of them. And, and so that, no, he says in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting your requests be made known to God. So to divide that up a little bit. So the prayers that he's talking about here are kind of general nonspecific prayers. You could, you could almost say that in our worship service, when we do like the prayer at the offering and we do the prayer kind of at the, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you. And then I turn around and do the prayer. Okay. That's kind of a general prayer, right? But supplications are way more of the individual kinds of requests and individual kinds of things that are on your heart and on your mind that maybe nobody else knows about. That's what you give to God. But then he uses that word Thanksgiving. So what is that? The daily practice of gratitude which is not jealous of God's generosity to others, but trust that God's hand is daily guiding you in ways that may be unique to you. So, you know, I really want to hammer on that one, which is not jealous to God's generosity to others. Thoughts? Well, part of the thankfulness is not about what he's going to do, but what he's already done. And so when you thank him for what he's already done, it's a reminder to you that God has been faithful in the past right. to you, and he will be faithful to you in the future. That's so right. So the thanksgiving is part of a, a reminder tool of yeah. God's goodness. I think it is, and that God is not way up in heaven, like up there doing whatever he's doing, he's, he, and not indifferent to your life, that he is fully aware of what's going on in our lives, and that he has not withdrawn his presence from us just because it may feel to us that he did because of the difficulty of the thing that we're dealing with. Absolutely. So you can see, see how all of this wraps together. Yeah, it's very true. And I think that's a great point is that this isn't like it's one of those individual things that I'm doing. And so I'm just doing that individually. It's part of the whole life that your whole life is about that. And that would then include those times in life when you think there's no way that a loving God would allow this to happen to me. Anybody ever had that thought before? It's a very common thought today. And it's one of the arguments that people who do not believe in God or who have rejected him or at least have moved over to the place where they say, well, I'm an agnostic. I'm kind of indifferent about that. That's the number one big question that they all ask as well. If there is such a thing as a God and that God is a loving God, well, why in the world would that God allow all the evil and brutality and meanness in the world today? And when they ask us Christians that, we go, because we're asking the same question. But when we ask it, we ask it in light of what God has already done for us. He's already done for us. And it's on the basis of what he's already done for us in, in his son Jesus on the cross and the resurrection that we can with all confidence say, I don't know why, but I know what. And the what that I know is his mercies are new every single morning. That's the answer. And that may not convince a hardcore atheist. That may not even convince your kid who is one of those ones that went away to school and came back non-Lutheran 
or non-Christian. And we all suffer with that. And we don't know why either. But we know what. See, what? What we know is what God has done for us in Christ. And that is mercies are new every morning. And you lean on that and you trust on that. And then you keep planting the seed every single day. You pray for that kid. You don't forget them. You bug them. You nag them. You send them money on their confirmation day. (laughs) Any of you still do that? Yeah, do that. That'll get their attention. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay. You might set a unfortunate precedence, but it would be worth it to do it. Right. Okay. See, it's, it, it's that kind of stuff. That's that yet I call this to mind. And sometimes we have to help our kids call stuff to mind. It might also include engaging them on Facebook. You just have to, you know, sort of couch that a little bit. Right. Okay. So what are some examples to practice gratitude? We have a few minutes left. Here would be one. Ask God to chip away at your resentments like a sculptor carves chips and polishes a stone to reveal the work of art that's beneath the surface. You ever watched a sculptor do what he does or a diamond cutter do what he does? That's a very valuable thing that they have, that piece of marble or that, that, that diamond, okay? Do they just go at it like haphazard and they're kind of whacking away at it and trying to figure out what's underneath it? What do they do? They study it. They study the rock. They study the stone to see where the natural fissures are, to, to, to see where the natural cracks already are. They, don't, they want to be delicate around those so they don't destroy the whole stone. That's the way God works with us. The difference is here, if you're going to practice gratitude, you're asking God to do that. So if you ask God to do that, then don't be surprised if he does. And then thank him for doing it. How's God do that? He does it by saying, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And we go, no, it's not. Okay. Yeah. Well, and it's never a rush process. It's not a rush when process. When the sculptor or the carver or the glassmaker does it, yes. they don't do it like haphazardly. Yes. They take their time to really make it a perfect product. That's correct. What God does with us. He takes it. Well, Absolutely. We don't really like that he takes it. No, no, no. Because what are you asking him to do when you ask him to do that? He, I'm now, he's going to do it anyway. Okay. We get that part. But, but if you're asking him, if a life of gratitude means that I'm going to ask him to do that, what are you asking him to do? Do it now. No, well that I don't want him to do it now. I <laughs> wait till I'm later. Yeah. But but what, what is the activity that you're asking of God to do? Take control of it. Chip away. Chip away. Take a chisel to your ego is a good example, right? Make you realize you're not in charge. Oh, yikes. Put people in your life that help you grow patience. Oh, I've heard a few groans on that one, right? <laughs> and then you thank him for it. Because he's doing what you've asked, see? But he does it in, in a way that says, because I love you, not because I'm trying to, like, you know, stick it to you. Yeah. Well, you also see, I think we've all had that experience in life where it's, you want something to happen, and then months, years down the road, you look back and you're like, 
okay, now I see. Now you see. Why yeah. you took so long. It's like Thank the sequence. You. Yeah, that's right. Instead of rushing it now, I oh, see I know. why you did that. I would like to wake up some morning more mature. <laughs> that would be way better than the way that it seems and to be going. And with hair. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for that. <laughs> I don't know why I needed that, but apparently I did. And so thank you for that person who uh, said that to me. And uh, now, as I remember it later, I will call to mind that your mercies are new every morning. <laughs> thank you. All that. Well, let's go to the second one. Do not separate the events of your life or the things that people say. In the categories of good and bad, instead say everything is God's grace at work. And I'll be so pleased to see how God's grace works in your life to shape and polish you. And I'll be happy to be the instrument of that if God so pleases. Okay, everything is God's grace. See, again, if you look at it that way, that changes everything for you. Everything. You're not going to be able to hold on to hurts and, and, and wounds and betrayals and fears. You're not going to be able to hold on to it for very long. You can give it this much. Maybe a shot glass verse. Maybe a thimble's worth. Maybe a whatever's worth. Okay, you can do that. Okay, but then God's grace is new every morning. Everything is God's grace. Admit that your desire to be in control is what really is fueling the anxious worry in your life. If you find that your mind keeps going to something in your mind that you think ought to be different, or you think that for that person's good, and we always kind of do that. We say, well, I'm worrying for your good. And, and the reality is sometimes we have people in our lives whose pattern of life is leading them down a bad path. That there are destructive habits that they have taken on, and maybe it's out of their control. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's, a, there's an obsession. Maybe there's something that, that propels them forward, and they can, they're not making good choices. And you find in love for them and concern for them that you really want the best for them. And you're going to try to make them do the right good thing. And they're having none of it. That's a killer. So we worry about it. And what we're reminded here is, is that God is way better at changing people than we are. But we sometimes forget that. And so we start to worry. So, another way to do it is forgive quickly, repair hurts with others, I would say quickly, and then over time work to restore trust. Okay, you have some other ideas about practicing gratitude? Maybe hang out with golden retrievers, how about that one? Okay, how many of you have a top 10 thankfulness list? Anybody have that? Top 10 thankfulness list? Why don't you make that, make that to list up and try it for a week and see what happens. That every morning before you uh, get up, you're waking up, but when you get up, and then every night before you go to sleep, call that to mind.
Okay. Top 10 thankfulness list. See what that does. Okay. All right. Guess what? We have to stop. And so we'll pick it up next week. Gina will with the peace of God guarding hearts and minds. Okay. And this will be a nice segue. The last, the last verses of Philippians are so powerful because in it, Paul talks about contentment. He talks about having learned the secret of contentment. And the way that I would see that is that contentment flows out of all this stuff that Paul's talking about. All the gratitude, all the thankfulness, all that. Okay? So you don't want to miss that. This is really going to be a, a powerful way to end, the, uh, end Philippians. And then the plan is, is that the following Sunday, which is March 18th, is when we'll start the uh, Sermon on the Mount material. Okay? That's the plan. All right? Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the powerful way that your word speaks to us and really just hammers us. It, it just nails us between the eyes, but not in a, in a judgmental way, not in a condemning way. It does it in the powerful way that is governed by your love. It's really your love that fills us and, and empowers us to go and live that life of love every day, which includes thankfulness. It includes gratitude. And most of all, it includes the trust and the hope that comes from knowing that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, we know we fall way short of living that each day, at least on our, on our own, with our own abilities and our own strength. And that's why we're, we're so grateful for your power, the power of your love that fills us and enables to, us to do that. So challenge us this week, dear Lord, give us opportunity to, to grow in our faith and, and also to be aware of those moments when you're chipping away at us like the sculptor does to reveal the beauty of the art beneath. Watch over us this week, dear Lord, be with us and watch over us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.